Hello there, this is Coden. And this is Cassia. And welcome to the Ebonhawk, a podcast where we discuss Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic and all things Star Wars. Today, we'll be telling you all about Cassie's trip to Star Wars Galaxy's Edge uh, earlier this year and answer a viewer question about Star Wars The Old Republic. This is episode 16, and this is where A New Hope begins. night I was in Disneyland I visited downtown Disney we visited salt and straw which was an ice cream store that everyone had recommended I go to I ended up getting the black olive brittle and Humboldt fog goat cheese flavor and I fell in love with it I'm craving it now it sounds disgusting but it tastes really good and I would recommend it I always love art so I visited the Wonderground gallery it just has some cool Disney art, some traditional animation, and then some reinterpretations. I always just love art scenes, so it was really fun to go there. And then when I was walking around, I saw the Void Anaheim. They are a virtual reality company, aka VR, and I saw that they had a Star Wars Secrets of the Empire experience, and I was like, you know what? I've never done VR, and I really want to try it out. So Secrets of the Empire, it starts out, Cassie and Andor and K2SO appear to you in a video and they explain the mission to you. So you're rebels and you impersonate stormtroopers. You go to Mustafar. You have to sneak in, but then your cover's blown. You're trying to find a weapon and see what the Empire's trying to figure out there. And it was nice to see Diego Luna reprise his Cassian Andor role. It was my first time doing VR, so it was all kind of new. It was really cool to see and just so much detail when I was like I wonder if I can touch K2SO and like it felt real so I was like what um and when you're kind of around Mustafar by lava you can smell it smells like you're by a barbecue just some really good levels of detail of course your cover's blown and you have to fight stormtroopers and it was my first time doing VR so my aiming probably wasn't the best, so now I, I kind of feel more empathy for, you know, stormtroopers not being, being able to shoot straight. And then you also have to fight, like, a lava creature. And then you end up finding the secret weapon, and it, I think it's actually a blade that appears in the Vader Immortal VR experience, which is like a trilogy, which teaches you more about Mustafar as a planet and like kind of its lore like it was like a nice kind of like Eden-like planet like forest and then it was cursed by some dark side users and then at the end of the Vader Immortal you kind of break the spell so that's why when Mustafar appears at the beginning of 
Rise of Skywalker. It's not as volcanic and there's trees starting to grow back. But of course, when you find the weapon at the end, Darth Vader appears. Of course, I tried shooting at him and he just deflects everything. And I'm like, oh no, am I am I gonna be killed? Like, I'm scared. Like, I know it's VR, but it, like, it's Darth Vader. But if you just kind of shoot the stormtroopers, your vehicle comes and kind of blows Darth Vader out of the way and then you're safe and you figured out the secrets of the Empire. It was a pretty fun experience. Well, anyway, I, I played I played VR for like No Man's Sky and for other kind of like sit-down space comms. I do have Vader Immortal, and I'll probably be playing it pretty soon. My question with this one in Anaheim, is it one of those like VR experiences where you're kind of standing in place and they kind of like move the environment to you? Or is it one of those where you go to like a warehouse and they hook you up with the VR gear and then you're kind of free to explore? But in the VR world, you're exploring... Like they have a fantasy setting, so you're exploring like a Skyrim temple. Is it more of that or more of like stand-in-place type VR? I think what it is, I had on my set, and I think we kind of walked uh, like a little bit room to room. Like it was kind of a compact set, but that's what it felt like. It was kind of like a little bit of a maze. You, you were kind of free to move. We were free to move. Like it wasn't like I was just standing in place, so... <laughs> I would love to do something like that. Those are those are the really good VR experiences. Funnily enough, when I ordered my tickets to Disneyland, my ticket came to me and it was the Galaxy's Edge. So someone must have known I was a Star Wars fan or it was luck, but I prefer to believe that the Force kind of made that happen, you know? About so, to break your heart, it is random. Uh, no, it, it was the Force, so there's no random, like, it, it was the Force. The next day, we woke up super early, and it was a Thursday, which I think is key, because I was able to get onto Rise of the Resistance. If it's a Friday or Saturday or Sunday, I think it's a lot harder to get into Rise of the Resistance. Like a weekday, I think it's doable to get in. Oh, Disneyland in general is hardest to get onto uh, rides on the, on the weekends. And yeah. Weekdays are typically clear unless it's a, like a holiday yeah. weekend or like a holiday week. Holiday I was weekend. there a holiday weekend, um, but Thursday it was a lot easier to get around. So the key to um, Galaxy's Edge, if you want to ride Rise of the Resistance, and of course you do, is you get there early before it opens. Like you want to be through the line and in the park before eight, and you need to have the Disneyland app downloaded and Fulcrum Intelligence in analyzing Star Wars and officially Star Wars they gave me some great advice on Galaxy's Edge and Rise of the Resistance so I just wanted to uh, give them a shout out here. So what you do when you get into the park is you make sure you're within Disneyland Park before 8 like I was there a few minutes before and I had my app open the Disneyland app and then you load all of your tickets into the app the night before and then what I did is turned off my Bluetooth and Wi-Fi and then you go to the in within the Disneyland app you go to Star Wars Rise of the Resistance 
access boarding group and you click find out more and then you want to be able to click join boarding group as the park opens and it's a lottery system it's very random i was expecting to be on the boarding group like 50 or 60 at the very best but the first time ever that I was there, I got on boarding group 21. And it's actually funny because everyone in the park is trying to access Rise of the Resistance. So like right at eight, you hear a lot of people cheering throughout the park and it, it kind of makes you happy to like just hear other people being happy and kind of celebrating. It's almost like, you know, when you're on indoor and you defeated the empire together, it just kind of felt like that kind of celebration. The people next to me on the bench were also getting on to Rise of the Resistance and they got on boarding group 13. And I was like, cool, like I'm 21. It was like a fun bonding experience. I just felt lucky to be able to go on. And it, it's kind of like an immersive experience. It's not quite a ride. It's like you start out on Batu. They have a pretty fun line too. It's like you see all these like rebel uniform or resistance They're because they're totally different from the rebels, you know? And you see like BB-8 and a hologram of Rey, which is a pretty good effect. And you see like Poe and Finn as well. And they're telling you the Empire's found us on Batu at the Black Spire outpost. We need to leave. So then you get into the ship and Poe is leading you out. But then there's a battle and you're taken over. So you're on their ship. But the cool thing is like when you're in line, you're going, you're walking outside onto the ship. And when you get off the ship, you're like in an um, Imperial or... First Order. I forget because, you know, they're so different. Uh, so you're on like a First Order ship. I, I'm sure you've seen that like line of stormtroopers. There's like that star field behind it. It's like, what? Then you go in line and like the people who are like portray the First Order people, they must have a lot of fun. They get to kind of be mean. You are put into a cell and then you see like Kylo Ren and Hux and they're kind of like, you need to tell us your secrets. Like, of course, it's projection. They're not actually there. It looks like Kylo Ren has his helmet from seven that's the costume he's wearing even though it's like between episodes eight and nine i just think they don't have the rights to adam driver's face and voice so that's why it's kind of a different voice that sounds like adam driver but is not adam driver and his face is covered then kylo ren gets called to another part of the ship and then hux leaves then uh, it's like here is the rebel extraction team we're, we're here to rescue you and then you load into this prison shuttle i guess and it has like a droid kind of leading it get in and like you have a seat belt and stuff but what's interesting about this ride is it doesn't have tracks all of the like little shuttles are led by radio and as you go through the ship you see a big battle going on and it's kind of like revenge of the sith when you kind of see the battle of coruscant you're kind of by the cannons as they're being fired you kind of see all of that happening and it was pretty cool to see all the ships going at it then you see an atat walker and it's like, wait, are those the prisoners that are escaping and they're about to shoot at you? But you you just get away. It's like, I was like, oh crap, we're, we're gonna die. But then we don't. And then you kind of see Finn. Then Kylo Ren is like, whoa, you're not leaving. And then like you see like a lightsaber like kind of coming like through the walls. He actually kind of holds you with the force two shuttles at a time. And he's like, you're gonna tell me where the resistance is, then there's an explosion nearby and he gets hit and then you're able to leave. And then you're rescued by an escape pod and then you crash land back onto Batu. It was pretty fun. But then I, because I think about stories and I'm like, well, actually, if we crash land where we're escaping from, 
that was pretty pointless, wasn't it? But I'm like, okay, it was a fun ride. Just be cool with it, you know? It was immersive. It was kind of an experience. Um, but I kind of hope in the future that they make it easier for people to get on, like have fast passes or standby line, not just a lottery system. Yeah, that's a, that is a weird system to get people on. Galaxy's Edge, it, it felt crowded when I was there, which I, I guess means like things have turned around a bit. It's mm -hmm. a bit more popular. And Rise of the Resistance is probably the hot ticket of all hot tickets in theme parks right now. Yeah, so Rise of the Resistance, it came out after galaxy's edge right so it was uh it wasn't quite finished when they opened up the park but it is kind of the new thing currently yeah i think they wanted to launch it uh alongside um the rise of skywalker i guess you could say it's like a little prequel to it so one one characteristic that disney has for their parks is that the the newest ride is always a nightmare to get on so this this uh, rise of the resistance ride will probably be overcrowded until they add a new attraction. The only complaint I really have about the lottery system is if a mom comes with her kids to Disneyland and they need to sleep in, so they get to the park, you know, at 9.30, they can't go on that, even if the kids are big Star Wars fan because it's a lottery system that happens just at 8, you know, or whenever the park is open. Sometimes hours fluctuate. So that's kind of my main beef with it. But I hope as time goes on, they kind of assess, like, how to properly do it so as many people can get on as possible. But I felt lucky that I was able to be part of boarding group 21. It was a really cool experience, and I'm glad I got to go. Then I went on to Smuggler's Run, Hondo from the Clone Wars and Rebels. He's actually an animatronic in that. It's a pretty good animatronic. He's like walking all along the stage and it looks pretty lifelike. The story of that one is you are going to pilot the Millennium Falcon and get some coaxium off of Corellia. There are different jobs on the Millennium Falcon. I was a pilot. When you're in the line, you get to pose with the Star Wars chess table. And when you go on the ride, it definitely looks like the Millennium Falcon. And I was really happy I got to be a pilot. There's two for every job. So one pilot goes up and down and one goes right to left. The person who was with me, no offense intended, weren't that much of a help when I was flying around. We were able to get one of the coaxiums, not two. So we we're able to make some profit. You know, Hon Hondo made a lot of money. We got a little bit. It's a fun experience, but it, it kind of reminds me of the Journey to Mars one a bit but i mean it was a good experience i would say rise of the resistance is the better ride i would like to see more rides in the future at galaxy's edge but sometimes disney is like they want to launch something as soon as possible they know people will come even if like not all of the attractions are there i was about to say that the the ride reminds me a lot of mission to mars i was a pilot for that ride when i went to disney world and I, I, yeah, so I was the pilot and I got sick on that ride because they, they try and simulate zero G and that's how I got sick. <laughs> um, yeah. They don't do that with this other ride, right? They, it's because technically the Millennium Falcon has a, has gravity. Do they do kind of a motion cockpit or kind of like Star Tours or is it stationary? So it's a motion one because it definitely goes up and down, left to right and all that. So I'm imagining it's kind of propelled like the Star Tours one and then like, there's also on the screen kind of like some projections. So it's like, it looks like you are on Corellia. Technologically, it's a feat. It just kind of 
reminds me of some other rides they've been on. So um, is is that one also lottery? Because I don't. Oh, it, it's not. I don't think there's a fast pass for it yet. There is a standby and a single rider line. The person I was with didn't want to be separated, so I would have just gone in a single rider line because usually that's a whole lot faster. Yeah. Because that's how I do Disney is I'm not like a person who likes taking pictures of everything and seeing the parades and doing all that. Like I'm like, let's go on all the rides and like maximizes fast passes and like single rider lines. I'm able to get what I get to do, everything I want to do a few times, leave early in the evening and just chill at downtown Disney because that's how I do Disney. I would say like the average waiting when I was there was 45 minutes to an hour. Not horrible, but like kind of average for like a new attraction. Anyways, moving on to talking about Savi's workshop. This was probably the experience I was most excited for because I honestly didn't think I was going to be able to get on either ride, but luckily I did. So I went to Savi's workshop. I decided to do protection and defense because I just really love gilded decorative older looking lightsaber hilts that kind of evoke the old republic rather than like you know the original trilogy prequel lightsabers so i chose that i was kind of surprised there was a bit of a wait to get in but when you get into the experience the whole thing ended up like i was like were we in there like even like 15 minutes i felt like it was a really good experience it was just they know how to get people in as fast as possible but when you get in you're given your spare your scrap parts. Um, you're given two options to choose from for like the emitter, the the top grip, then the activation switch, the bottom grip, and then the bottom kind of holds it all together. It's kind of interesting though because the person in charge kind of tells you we're kind of in hiding from the first order but we just you know believe in the force and we want to be able to build our lightsabers and they talk about who wields all the different colors and they say green was wielded by Yoda, Qui-Gon, and Ahsoka Tano. They talk about blue, Luke Skywalker, his father before him, and the new hero Rey. And then they talk about purple and it's like, and only Mace Windu because he's the only one. And then there's red and they talk about how it was wielded by, I believe it was Asajj Ventress, Vader, and Kylo Ren. I mean, a whole lot of other people. They just want to kind of have like all the eras covered. What's interesting is like I chose a blue crystal. I was the only person who ended up choosing a blue crystal, but I went to Doc Ungdar's and bought a yellow crystal because I'm kind of all about that Jedi Sentinel life. So I wanted a yellow blade. So I ended up like saying like, can I, can I use that crystal? I ended up buying, um, everyone gets like a little helper when you're there just to like make it go as smoothly as possible. I'm glad I had a helper because getting it to fit together it, it's a bit more difficult than you think but what's interesting is like the parts they look like plastic in a picture but they're literally metal I think what makes them look like plastic is like it's painted metal they give you a few minutes to like put it together the workers kind of make sure everything is like sound and fits together well and you did it right and then there's the activation part they're like 
let's hope this works. They put the hilts into there and then everyone activates it at the same time and then everyone kind of sees their lightsabers for the first time. Master Yoda says the force is with you always. It was a fun experience. Like I think it was probably what I kind of like the most like what I imagined Star Wars Land as. And it, it was really fun to make it and now I have that memory and my yellow lightsaber with me forever. Maybe one day I'll try out the blue setting. It was just kind of funny to see like everyone. It was like they were either purple, green, or red. Like no one wanted blue but I was the only yellow. I took it to get sent in the mail and before they send it in the mail they make sure every part is working. Apparently my activation switch after the first few tries kind of got stuck but the nice thing is Savi's workshop is like they take very good care of like lightsabers and if something isn't working like any part they just replace it. So I was able to get that squared away and I got it sent to me in the mail rather than lugging it around in the park. I wouldn't want to take it with me like you know on Splash Mountain. Or if you leave it behind it's like easily stolen because yeah, yeah I was thinking the same thing I, you know, when when you brought yours home and I, I was able to take a look at it like it, it felt really solid. It's a very solid lightsaber yeah. it's a bit it's a bit wide but it's it, it's very well built there's no pieces like rattling or anything on it which is really awesome it felt like it called to me when i built it and it was interesting because when you are trying to decide what your lightsaber or like just kind of listen to like which one calls to you and i mean it is kind of pseudo mystical you know but it's like in your heart of hearts you kind of know what you want whether it's a lightsaber hilt or something else and they're like just just go for the thing you want and like my lightsaber ended up looking different than I imagined it was going to be, but I feel happy with the one I created and I love it. And it's something I'll treasure. Oh, and I forgot to mention, they give you a, a nice bag to carry it in. That That's nice of Disney, like free of charge, so. Good value. People think, oh, 250 bucks is a lot, but it's this hilt, the blade, the, yeah. the electronics, which a lot of companies will have you pay a ton extra for. And, and then, yeah, the carrying case. The extra crystals you can get from Doc Ondar's Den of Antiquities is white and yellow. I think there's a black one, but it's just sold in the um, red container. Every so often someone finds a black one, but it basically emits red. It just is a black crystal. If you put it in a holocron, it has Snoke's voice and the holocrons can have different voices like yellow can have Maz Kanata or a Jedi temple guard. Purple is all Mace Windu, so you know what you're getting with a purple crystal. And then blue alternates between Luke and Obi-Wan Kenobi. And then green is either Qui-Gon or Yoda. And then I believe red is Vader, Vader, Maul, Sidious. And then white is either Chirrut Emway or Ahsoka Tano. I didn't end up getting a holocron, so I don't know if mine speaks with the voice of Maz Kanata or Jedi Temple Guard, but if I could choose one, I'd go Jedi Temple Guard because, you know, I'm a Jedi Sentinel. I think it's surprising. It could be Adigalia, you know. Um, there's actually a list of, like, what voices are possible. So maybe they could end up adding more voices as time goes on. It's just kind of interesting. So I would definitely recommend when you're in Galaxy's Edge, just kind of just walk around. Just kind of take it in. There's, like, different shops, different places to get food in. It's just kind of fun to see all the details like, hey, there's like a little sarlacc growing in the den of antiquities. You have to try blue milk or green milk. I personally like green milk better. It kind of tastes more citrusy, kind of grassy. And then I always hear like blue milk, it's like, oh, it's sweet. Kind of like 
cotton candy. I'm like, cool, I'm never trying that because I hate cotton candy. Try milk when you're there and maybe like a hot chocolate at Docking Bay 7. I think when they first ended up getting the hot chocolate at Galaxy's Edge, it was a bit more kind of spicy, like kind of more like Mexican hot chocolate and it kind of had a wavy cup sleeve, but now it's kind of just like lined not wavy and like kind of just like, I mean, it's good hot chocolate, but it's, it's just like no kick to it. There are no benches when you're kind of walking around and that's kind of a bummer. I did kind of notice that. So we need to create some space benches. I walked around both days. I was like at Disneyland and California Adventure. It's just fun to walk around, see different details. Like you're like, oh, there's Ray walking around hiding from the first order. There's stormtroopers walking around, and then I even saw Kylo Ren. The day I was there, one of the days was Valentine's Day. I did kind of want to ask Ray or Kylo Ren if I saw them. Like, if I saw Kylo Ren, I did want to ask, like, hey, is Ray your Valentine? Or if Ray was there, like, hey, is Kylo Ren your Valentine? But I didn't run into them, and I probably just would have embarrassed myself. But the thought did occur to me. But yeah, some of the characters that appear there, it's just like Chewbacca, Ray. Kylo Ren and some stormtroopers. I would prefer, when I think of Star Wars and characters I would like to see, I would like to see like Anakin, Obi-Wan, Padme, Luke Han, and Leia, and Chewie from the original trilogy. But it's hard because they set it as like a canon experience between episodes eight and nine. And I think that kind of limits it because you can't even have Baby Yoda there you know, or the Mandalorian. I think what they should do is like maybe not make it a canon experience or maybe like have an area where it's like they call it like visions from like elsewhere. Maybe they could call it world between worlds and like have shadows or force ghosts, you know, of like Jedi, Sith of past and present, you know? Because when I think of Star Wars land, I would want to see all my favorite characters, you know? One thing I think would be a great addition too is through, through the rest of Disneyland Park, there's various types of transportation and it'd be really cool to have a vehicle that yeah. would just kind of go around the perimeter of galaxies just to get people off of their feet and get people places maybe just a little bit quicker and, and it would kind of add to the experience because that's what you're used to seeing in a star wars setting is these kind of people carrying speeders kind of moving point to point taking yeah. places you do see like some different ships and some speeders but they're stationary like parked so yeah that that is a good idea oh there's also a character named v marati i had to look her up because i'd never heard of her or seen her in a movie it's hard though because like disney it's like they kind of throw in all this stuff about batu and galaxy's edge into books and not show it cinematically on screen because i would say like a more surefire slam dunk would be maybe use a world like you see even if it's in the sequel trilogy like one you see in a movie or maybe like you have one that like has been seen in all of the trilogies or like maybe you like for Star Wars Land you have different worlds or maybe like Disneyland could be the original trilogy Disney World could be the sequel trilogy and you kind of have different experiences but some similarities at each one and then maybe like Disneyland Paris is like the prequels and then like maybe Disneyland Tokyo is like they do a whole different thing there you know it's kind of just like from what I hear like a little bit of a carbon copy at both parks so the overall feel of like walking around it definitely feels like they're channeling 
the original trilogy kind of in the design when I was in the one of the bathrooms I was kind of like is something wrong with that ceiling or is that like a stylistic choice because it looked like something was kind of rotting on the ceiling and then it took me a while to be like oh those are brush strokes thank goodness because I was like is that gonna fall but they're they're trying to make it look like a lived-in rundown universe but I'm like wow like Disney it's kind of like with the Haunted Mansion they don't dust chandeliers in the haunted mansion because then it makes it you know more spooky and it's like kind of like free spooky factor so it's like I kind of wonder if that's gonna happen they don't have to make it look as nice you know and it kind of helps them save money so it's kind of it's kind of interesting and like the the Indiana Jones ride has a way of like making you feel totally claustrophobic and it's kind of an atmosphere that they're going for which is really cool one thing I kind of wonder is if they didn't end up going with tattooing because it would look too similar to Big Thunder Mountain. Because then they have black spires, which it kind of makes it look different from tattooing. And if they did that, I'm like, you could use like Coruscant or something, you know, or Naboo, you know, or like the Death Star. It is interesting to have like its own world that you don't even see in the new movies. So I wonder if it will be featured in any of the movies in the future or shows. So far, I don't think it's really been referenced. Yeah, like Batu is pretty foreign to me. It's kind of like by the unknown regions, I think. It's like definitely Outer Rim. It's kind of one of those like smuggler outposts. It would be cool to see some old Republic characters or items there one day. Like if they ended up having old Republic films, maybe they could show some characters walking around the park. And I would even love to just see like Mandalorian and Baby Yoda and like people from different trilogies like walking around there. So maybe in the next few years we'll we'll see some adjustments. Are we ready for a viewer question? Our viewer question comes from gray underscore Jedi underscore 101 from Instagram. They say, why did Revan never mention his wife and child in Shadow of Revan? Shadow Revan was an expansion for Star Wars The Old Republic. And what I think about this, I haven't quite made my peace with uh, the Revan novel and some of SWOTOR, as I call it. I love the trailers for The Old Republic and, like, some aspects of the story, but I kind of don't like what they kind of did to, like, Bastila and Revan. So I kind of haven't made some of my peace with those aspects of the story, but how I interpret what happens to Revan is his good half dies, so he's at peace, like, that half of him is, is at peace. And then like kind of the dark side half of him kind of lives on and he's kind of more focused on bringing peace to the galaxy at no matter the cost and kind of like taking care of stuff that way. I think that's kind of like why Revan doesn't mention his wife and child in Shadows. And also sometimes when writers like are handling like a character people like, like they're a bad A character. They're like, oh, if we have them like mentioning their wife or child, it makes them seem weak, you know? 
That's why you don't really ever see Dracula or James Bond or any of those characters get married and settle down. Sometimes like writers just don't like that, which I think is stupid. Go both ways. I felt because I was having a lot of those thoughts with the Battlefront 2 story when they kind of do the like the 20 years later and then it's like this expansion story where you've got like the the kid of item versio and now the the parents are kind of like weak they're not like weak weak but they're they're just not the same because they're mom and dad and kid i don't know sometimes like writers get a little bit inconsistent because i think like if it were like a kotor 3 situation they would definitely bring up like bastila and and like a possible kid or if it was the female Revan they would bring up Karth. Basically the way I see it is like it's kind of like the dark side half of Revan still remains and then if not that inconsistent writing and that's how I see it. Did you have any more thoughts? Not really I mean we just we don't really like the Revan novel that much so... <laughs> Yeah, um, one day I'll kind of do a deep dive into it and get some annotations and like we'll just maybe do a review, but that's kind of in the future. Um, this has been Coden. And this has been Cassia. You can find us at twitch.tv forward slash Quentin Follow my stream there. I typically tweet out when I go live, but we are working on a more stable schedule. Uh, you can also email us your comments and questions at ebonhawkpodcast at gmail.com. And then our Instagram is ebonhawkpodcast, and our podcast can be found on Spotify, iTunes, and SoundCloud at The Ebonhawk, and we are always grateful for subscriptions and reviews. Yep. Currently, if you go looking for our Spotify playlist, you're going to see our most recent episodes, and then we are working backwards to our original episodes so just be aware of that and um, shortly the whole list will be there if you haven't been following us on our other platforms our intro and outro themes were composed by alistair shorman he can be found at alistairsounds.wixsite.com forward slash alistair sounds and our transition music was composed by christian walker he can be found at christianwalkermusic.com this has been episode 16 of the evan hawk may the force be with you and we'll be back soon bye for now Thank you.